Do, do the glasses bother you? You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you, I had such a good time with Stephen Bauer last week. And we didn't barely get past Scarface. And he's had such a great career that I said, Stephen, will you come back? And he said, yes. And I think maybe it's because we're both Stevens with these. But he's originally an Esteban. Anyway, Stephen Bauer's back. How you doing, Stephen? I had a lot that I, uh, I I just couldn't get it all out uh, in that hour and something that we did. So I I just felt like it was incomplete, and I owed you. Oh no, well, we have so much to talk about. First of all, I want to start. We ended well with the Rhythmics video, but with, with Scarface, and we talked about how you got the role. But once that movie started taking off, how did that affect your career? Because it was a huge hit. Yeah, with all due respect, it was not a huge hit at when it was released. It it drew audiences, but the audiences that were not paying attention to the reviews, which came out this this day after, and which famously and wisely Al uh, Pacino had had told me because I started I started already at nearing the the opening night or the release, I started my head thinking, because I've always read uh, movie critics. It's one of the things that educated me about film. Some of them are full of shit, you know, and and some of them actually know cinema. And so I was, I started thinking, what's the, what are the reviews? I wonder what they're, go, what they're going to write. I wonder if they're going to see and, and get the subtle humor, the dark humor, um, the relationship between him and I, and then the, the sister, all those things. And I was speculating, and I told him, I said, what do you, how, I mean, it, nobody's ever done anything this bold and this violent and, and the language and, uh, and you know we're the protagonists, but we're not the good guys. And so it's 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 something that that at first swallow is hard to digest. I think for any audience, unless it's an audience that came to see that, and there were there were those, and they did come for three months. I think they it made uh, thirty seven million or something in the first three months and. January, February, March, I think. Um, but that was in spite of the reviews. And he told me, he said, I don't read them. I don't read them. I suggest you don't. And I said, oh, I'm just so curious. And he said, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you that the people who write those, most of them just want to make a name for themselves. They're just showing off. And they know nothing, and they're not really that interested in what you were trying to do or what the film. Was. No, they just want to say, "Oh, I saw the movie, and I, I, I had to walk out." Right. So, so there were reviews like that the next day, and I made the mistake, and I looked, and I went to the office, I think, of the of Mr. Bergman, and they had collated already reviews from around the country, USA Today, but we got killed. I mean, slaughtered. 
And he and Al was right. He, he, he good thing he didn't read the reviews because, especially for him and for Brian De Palma, the reviews were so so nasty. Like go back to acting school, Al. And with Brian De Palma, it's like sophomore uh, violence and and uh, Hitchcock imitation, slow camera moves. Wow! And I got off scot free. There, in a lot of reviews, they actually mentioned me as the one shining spot in the film is newcomer Stephen Bauer as his friend, and I was like. <laughs> It's like that's kind of like a, a bittersweet win for, for me in my first film. I got a, I got reviewed and they were good, but I couldn't. It was hard for me to live with that hatred. But the audiences that were there on opening night were going crazy. They had an overflow at the theater in, on Broadway in New York, and uh, and it's. It, and they had a, such an overflow of people that they had to put it, also screen it in the theater beside it. And there's the two theaters on Broadway and uh, movie theaters. And, and and that one was packed. And so when we left, people were buzzing all about it. There was people there. Uh, I heard that, that um, John Grisham, some people were like walking out. They're like disgusted. They're like, this is not where American movies should be going. <laughs> like they're too good for it. And 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 for a while that was kind of the attitude of academics, uh, movie people even. But but it, it, it's interesting because uh, did I tell you the story about Marty Scorsese? No. He was sitting in front of me. He was sitting in front of me, and and I think Al was next to me, and and Marty in the middle of the film or, or the first third of the film turned back and he said to me, he said. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. You guys, it's it's really good, and great job, great job. And I said, and I said, yeah, yeah. And and he said, yeah, but Hollywood's gonna hate it. Why? I said, and he said, because it's about them. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so they did. And I went for years. You, you asked did my career take off. Well, a little bit because I did get some notices, but the people in the industry then a lot of young hotshots, you know, me trying to act like they knew everything about film, film production, and they wanted to be executives. And so, if I'd get an appointment, people would want to see me. Those young guys, executives, they want to see me because. They saw the movie and they saw me and I was just boom, you know, on the screen, I came off real strong. And um, he and I remember going to this meeting for a movie and I don't even remember. I walk in and there are like three or four like yuppie uh, execs and they go, hey, Stephen Bauer. Wow, man. Hey, we just wanted to, to meet you. and. 
and talk to you about this movie. And um, your work was so good in that piece of shit film. And I said, what'd you say? And they said, come on, come on, admit it. it the movie's terrible. It's terrible. I, was, I wanted to say, how do you have the balls to say that to my face? <laughs> and, so, and I just felt so maligned. It was, like I said, bittersweet because I would get uh, praise, but I, I wasn't getting the push of, well, we made this debut and we should, you know, we should be looking at him for other films. I got, I got my share of attention for other films and I did, after a year of turning down similar roles, uh, in, in shitty, real shitty movies, I finally they finally found this. Uh, my agents found this um, movie that Paramount was making, and this follows. It's like Scarface, and you know, and I was, my my head was like turbulent because I I just thought oh, I can't believe they killed the movie. They killed the movie, and and. And then there was a, a, a L.A. Times uh, every year has uh, the 100 best films of the 80s so far. And no Scarface. No Scarface. And there were some shit films on that list. And I was like, how could they be so, it's so nasty. It's like they, they want to be the ones to say, no, we don't go for that here. Bullshit. <laughs> we don't go. We don't. We don't stand. We don't approve of that kind of filmmaking. Are you kidding? And I. But we won out eventually because it took years. Oh, I was doing a movie. I got an offer to the movie called Thief of Hearts at Paramount, and it was a glory project. And it was Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer's follow-up to. The movie that made them immediate geniuses and, and got them uh, an office at Paramount, Flashdance. Okay, but this was going to be like a really sultry, sultry, romantic, uh, sexual, sexy th uh, thriller with the leading man being me, being a handsome second story man, like a, a, a burglar in San Francisco who takes art. He takes art. He breaks in to people's rich people's homes when they're not there. And he takes basically just prize pieces and pieces that can be sold. And um, and then he makes a mistake on one on one tree right near the beginning. And he breaks into the home of these two people and and they have problems. And there's a there's a picture, it's like a, a black and white picture that's made to look like a painting of the woman of the house, of the of the wife. And as I'm taking the stuff, grabbing arts, and I see this, and it catches my eye, and I take it. In, and when I one of my rules is never take anything personal, never take any personal items. And the other thing I do is I stumble upon a safe and I can't really crack it, so I take it from her side of the bed, a safe, a little safe. So, and then I find out <laughs> that when I, 
that it's got these diaries and she's writing about her unhappy life and the, and the man she would lo- like to the man that her dream man she writes about it and I'm reading this and I'm kind of a lonely guy because I don't like I don't really I have trouble with relationships with 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 uh, shifty people and you know, females that were not up anyway so is, he's a very uh, kind of uh, he's got an, some integrity some personal integrity but he's a thief and, and so he hasn't found the right woman and suddenly he's found her and she's writing about how, she, how unhappy she is so she, he becomes her her fantasy her dream and, it, and prepares to meet her by chance to have a collision with her at a grocery store, and, and from then on, it's 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 it's, it's a really interesting film. Um, and, but that wasn't supported by Paramount, even though it started with Don and Jerry, and Don and Jerry were so excited about me that they took me and my manager out to dinner to 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 tell us that they, their next project was a top secret thing because it was involving the, the Pentagon and, and uh, the Air Force, and it was going to be about fighter jocks training in, 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 uh, in San Diego, I think it is. And, and they're all just hot guys, and, stuff, and we want you to play the lead, Maverick. At, but as we shot, as we were shooting out of town in San Francisco, they were having a, a big headache with the controlling the the writer director Doug, Douglas Day Stewart, who had written Blue Lagoon and, and Officer and a Gentleman. But they always had wanted someone like Taylor Hackberger to to direct the film, and he was he would not he would not give up his he was determined to direct his first film. And there were a lot of problems with him. So they were at their boiling point and we had already started shooting and they got uh, some news from Paramount that another project they were developing with Stallone and then he finally, he walked off the project, um, was about a cop from Detroit, a guy from Detroit, yeah, Beverly Hills cop. And, And they had just gotten interest from Eddie Murphy. And they were like, "Woo, let's go down back down to L.A. and and meet Eddie. And that's it. From that point on, they were on that movie and left us to rot out in the hinterlands of San Francisco. It was a a beautifully shot and very moody. If you ever get a chance to see it, Um, a lot of people that reach out to me and say that movie it didn't get a lot of play right because when they when we when we finished it and it was ready to go they did a little bit of a campaign with me and her and and great photography and and then nothing they they opened in very few theaters and we were second the first weekend and then we were second to second weekend, and then kind of fizzled out. No push from the studio. Let me so, ask. Let me ask you something. You know, you, you, that happens to you. And before that, 
Scarface is, you're going to get reviews of Scarface is getting bad reviews. How do you keep confident? I know you're an actor, it's what you love, but you know, it's, it's not like if you go out and you ask someone for their phone number and they say no. This shit's getting thrown in your face and you're seeing it and you know the product is good and you know you've done good. So how, what kept you going? Just the love of acting? If I met up with the right project, with the right director and, and story, and it was a studio film, that chances are that things go smoothly, and, and as opposed to what I've been through, which was with, with Thief of Hearts anyway, my first starring role, I mean, every scene almost, and and they shot me beautifully, and you know, they, it was like... Um, a formula. It was a, a what they call high, 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 and or anyway, high uh, something product uh, that they were they were doing at the time. It's, it's got to be high. Oh gosh. Anyway, it it we had all of that and it didn't work. And I knew that it's like, and I could talk to the people at the studio. Two of the executives that approved the movie jumped. Uh, Katzenberg went to Disney, and and uh, Don Steele became head of Columbia. And Don and Jerry were like, oh, "We're doing uh, we're doing uh, 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 the movie, but we cast uh, Tom Cruise. He's young. He's younger than you, and he's kind of. But we would like to see you for the role of Maverick and I, of uh, Maverick, Ice Iceman." And I read the script, and it seemed kind of ugh, predictable, the romance. And to me, it just was, uh, and, and and the role of Iceman, on paper, I was like, I don't want to be that asshole. <laughs> I, you know, I probably sh I should have, maybe, because I would have had an opportunity to, to show colors that I hadn't shown before. And, uh, and... But it was so hard to keep going. I just kept believing that, okay, next one. The next one's going to be, next. I can't be that unlucky. I can't be that cursed that every film has a, has a problem. It, that's out of my control. That's the other thing. I, I sometimes, I, I admired people like George Clooney who immediately got into producing immediately as soon as he had a little bit of fame and recognition he started developing projects and i was too busy with my personal life and uh, it was I, I a lot of my energy was devoted to that and i only have myself to blame because i i stepped into it and i didn't know how to get out and so I didn't develop projects. I had had a big conversation with Warren Beatty when he saw these awards, and he talked to me and he said, "You could be the next me, but you have to be really careful what you know, what you select, what what you do, and and if you have any favorite uh, stories or or novels, or start developing them yourself." He started when he was, you know, before he was 30 years old, and he produced Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't. And 
I just I did keep going. I I had a lot of frustration. But you know, but you also the funny thing is though you had frustration. But you look at your IMDb, you were still working. Now it may have not been of what the the projects you have wanted to or envisioned, but as an actor, you should have you probably you were considering yourself lucky because you know not lucky, but you know have, you have the talent. But you were working a lot, and that's something that even if it's TV, that was something that you've worked over the years. So that's what I want to get to now, like like with. Ray Donovan. Okay, I want to talk about Ray Donovan because your character was great in that. And that was a great movie. And once again, like Scarface, they aren't Ray and Avi. They're not like these great people, you know, but you like them. And that's what that mold, you like him. You like, you want to see Avi kick someone's ass. You you know, you want to, you want to see Ray. So how did Ray Donovan come up about? Because that was someone where people my age, we're like, oh, yeah, well, we know your career. We know, it's like anything. We saw Scarface. We got Stephen Bauer. We know your name, you know, but then a younger generation who probably get to know you from Scarface, so all of a sudden, like, well, who is this guy? So how did Ray Donovan come about for you? And playing a character that's not an American <laughs> or a Spaniard. <laughs> I, 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 they had in mind a Russian, a big Russian, like a bear, a big Russian who that would uh, be his uh, guy, and or and I went in and I they're like you you're not that envision something bigger. And I went in like the first week, and but the writer of the series and she couldn't was really the supervisor the writer. She wrote a lot of the scripts in the beginning. We just five seasons, six, the sixth one, without me, they shipped me off to uh, Columbia because I got in trouble with the law. And, uh, and, he t- and he tells me, you can never come back. Uh, you, yeah. And I was crying and he's, you know, it was a beautiful scene in, in season five. Anyway, um, we, so we did a lot of episodes and, but it was again magical casting. The writing was phenomenal, phenomenal. Like it was, it was after. Was it after Breaking Bad or, or yeah? It, it was after Breaking Bad had already started killing, and people noticing the writing and the the acting, the the choices, the casting, and direction, all that. So Ray Donovan was like, oh, no, this is as good as the best things that had were establishing themselves on cable. And, and so, Ann Bitterman knew me because she wrote, she wrote a movie called Primal Fear that I did in Chicago with Richard Gere. And, um, and she knew me and she really liked me. And then a few years later, I mean, 10, 15 years later, she was the executive producer and the and the writer of Ray Donovan. So magical, magically, it, that was a role that Leah had to play. It, it was his t- time to become a, a stronger president. He was already accomplished in Broadway and uh, stage actor and Shakespeare and and, and he, but his roles in movies had not really caught 
people's eyes that much. This was the role. And it wasn't a movie. It wasn't a feature. It was something that was going to be long, long range, episode after episode. So you get to develop the characters. So once he's in, they've got a show on Showtime. And they still haven't found the big bear, Russian, Russian bear. And she goes, bring Stephen Bauer in. Ask him if he can do an Israeli accent. <laughs> and they... Yes, of course, of course I can. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> and who do you think I am? And so I went in, I read a scene, and they were all, yeah, yeah, should we call the app? Yeah, yeah, he's nearby. Bing, they pick up the phone, call the app. And they go, we got Stephen Bauer here, and he is perfect for Abby. Uh, we can come in and read with him. We can get this done today. It was late the last day before they begin. And so so he came in, big guy, and, uh, and very nice, and we read through a scene, and I did the thing, and I talked to him like this, you know, the thing, and uh, ended, and all the execs, uh, the, the consultants and everything were standing, were there, and they went, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we uh, uh, Liev. Uh, how do you feel? And he goes, "I'm he's he's perfect." <laughs> and I said, "Wow, yeah." And they go, "Okay, well then let's do it." That was it. I went in, I auditioned, and I was Avi, the Avi that would fit with Ray Donovan, who is the the quiet man and doesn't say much and I'm always dancing around them like hey don't do this you know I, I, I'll check it out first you know so it develops over the over the up over the seasons and it's a beautiful beautiful thing and I and every day I get people that just binged it finally and they're like this is masterful it's just really every episode is it's like you know it's so strong. If you ever get a chance to actually watch a few in a row or watch. Oh, I, I've, I've binged it. You know, it's funny. I remember, I forget what season it was, but they played, uh, it was when Ray jumped off the building or whatever, but they played Rock and Roll Suicide by David Bowie. And I kept listening to that song. I kept saying to my Amazon, oh, my Alexa saying, play that song because it was such a great scene. And that song fit it so perfect. And and that's that show. I mean, me, I would watch it, and then me and my wife would watch it. You know, when it started when I was in L.A., and then she moved out to L.A., and we watch it. And yeah, it was one of those shows. It's one of those shows you look forward to. You're like, oh shit, Sunday night we got it. And I I would sit there and I would stream it on East Coast when I was out in the West Coast. I stream on the East Coast HBO, so my friends wouldn't ruin it on facebook and go hey did you see what happened to ray Diamond? and you're like asshole i didn't see it yet you know you're you're three hours ahead of me but oh yeah it's one of those shows it is just the way it's shot it's it's sleek it's it's I, that's how you can describe it. it's sleek and it but it's sleek but intelligent yeah, intelligent and it's also devastating the stuff that happens even the, the just the personal interpersonal relationships him and his dad him and his brothers him and and her him and his wife and i remember there's an episode where he goes where she goes ray you gotta do something you you 
you, you just can't keep everything in. And he goes, look at you. You, you don't even have a friend. And he goes, well, it's Avi. And she goes, Avi? Avi's not your friend. <laughs> he works for you. <laughs> now, now when, for Avi, did you have to take, did you do your stunts? Because there's a lot of fighting. I mean, so did you have, did you have any background in martial arts or anything? Or did they have to sit there and say, did you have to go through training for that? teach me a lot of the the Israeli Krav Maga and um, and I knew I would have to at some point show it and <coughs> and I also I wasn't prepared that I would get the shit kicked out of me by five big Russians in in the fourth season or something because I t they want him to come in and to an office building and they want to talk to him and uh and he goes, I'm going. And I go, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, I'm going to go. And he goes, Avi, just be careful. Uh, okay. And I go, and suddenly they they ambush me, and they have guns on me. And I drop my gun. The moment I drop my gun, boom, somebody kicks me in the ribs. And then they kick me on the floor, and they kick me in the head. I had to keep rolling back and forth, and it was choreographed, of course. And and the the, the director, he, he he told me he said we have these pads for your rib cage, for your rib cage. And I said no, it'll make me look too too blousy. Yeah, it's so stupid. <laughs> I said, I'm good. They know what they're doing. I just let's quite go over it. I turn this way, you kick me. I turn this way, the other one, my guy kicks me. And, and he pull your punches. You pull your kicks, too. Well, one of them was not very experienced, and he was Russian. And he was a big guy, and he was number three kick. And as I rolled into him, boom, he kicked me right in behind the ear. I almost blacked out. And then I rolled back, boom, and the other guy kicked me in the in the rib cage. <laughs> And direct, and it, they finished, and uh, and I'm left like in a crumpled thing. And the director says, "You know, job." And he goes, "Are you okay? Are you all right? Did you get kicked for real?" I go, "Yeah, well, I think one of them missed me when it didn't pull his boot." And and I was suffering for a while. It hurt my back. It hurt my thing. And that. I was going to say live and learn. That's something I should have learned way before in my career. Uh, but I, for some reason, felt like these are real pros, and I don't need hip, you know, rib cage pads. So, but it was so much fun to do to come in, even though I have you know a few scenes in the, each episode. But all the scenes that I had with him was so much fun because he just, just is not smile at me, even though I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm your friend. I, you know, don't do this. And, and he say, Avi, I don't need you to tell me that. And he's just not like, even like bad, not like, like a, a smile. I was like, smile, don't you love me? <laughs> but now, it was, it was, was that written or could you improv on that? 
I think that mostly we had to stick to the script or stop and change it. Asked asked to to change it to from what didn't what felt clunky, and he's very good for that. Liev. And the directors were always very amenable, but they had to then they had to make a call to the writer and and ask them if it was okay to go to because there were the week before shooting the entire week was devoted to like football teams they you know after the Sunday and you get a Monday off and then boom Tuesday you're at practice and working on the next opponent. Well, that's what we did. Uh, you'd read, we'd have a table reading with John Boyd and Ed Bunchy and all, all of them, all of them. And in the table reading, you don't really have to do a performance. You're sort of reading it for the first time, but I would read ahead while they were, while they were having other, other scenes. And i say, oh, here's my first scene. Oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, oh, I'm so so. And I'd be ready when when my scene started, and I just crack up the writers, crack up everybody. Everybody would laugh because the 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 whole lobby thing is so, it's so Israeli, it's so LA Israeli. You know, the guys who are like, ah, America, like this easy. I'm gonna make millions, you know, and and so I and I knew these guys. That would that helped me with the role is that I knew I dealt with some guys that were guys that were these guys you know they all had shaved heads <laughs> it was it was a wonderful experience really really wonderful and I I've been in line at, at the airport in line for TSA or something and I'll be talking to Jen like this she's talking softly I don't I try not to speak loud and. And somebody from behind says, excuse me, well, are you Avi? And I said, yes. I, you know, from the back of my head, and I go, your voice, your voice. Uh, are you Mr. Eddie? And I said, no, I'm no, I'm not. I'm actually not new. No. How did you learn how to speak like us? <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm yeah. But it's, it's, it's a really beautiful character. And I'm glad that a lot of people have seen it after its original what happened why why did avi leave i mean with was it that they said okay we're taking the story a different way or i mean did you know you were going to be not in the last season i got very sick Uh, after i got the after i had the the kicking incident i was going through like a hard time and i i i guess it showed at work that i was in pain and and I really didn't want to use any pain medicine, any painkillers, but you know, once in a while, if I could, if somebody you know had some, I would take something very, very minor for pills. Um, and I guess I I didn't look good because I was not happy at home, and I would look forward to going to work, but. The damage that I, I was going, my body was going through this, and I couldn't fix it. It couldn't take time out to fix it to see a, a, a chiropractor or, or a surgeon, and it would bother me for years after that until I finally met a, a surgeon uh, who was 
who, who dealt with athletes and he solved my problem. He put a little incision and he put a titanium dice, like a, the size of a dice inside, separated a L4 and five <laughs> vertebrae, which were, which were jamming the, the, uh, jamming against the sciatic nerve. And it was constant pain, constant, constant pain. So I'd have this expression of pain on my face a lot. And I think that the, the writers had this great idea with the uh, following this, the season where the artwork, we recovered the artwork and the artwork, why it was so important. There wasn't like masterful pieces. It, and, and he figured out he turned it around and cut the back, you know, with just paper on a, on a frame, on a big on a big piece, cut it open, and there's packets and packets of heroin and fentanyl. And that's why they wanted it. The Russians wanted it so bad. And so they start the next season saying, Avi, Avi's becoming a problem. And... We don't know what it is, but he's just acting funny and he doesn't look good. And so they took advantage of that fact that, that it gave them a storyline. And then the, the FBI guy had, arrests the other, the other son, the brother, Bunchy, and, and they go to, to John Boyd and they say, yeah, well, we can let him go, but you got to do us a favor. What is it? He goes, you got to take Avi out. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do that. They go, well, you know, your son will sit in, in jail until you decide to do something good. He, they, they say, and he's, the guy says, yeah, Avi is a problem. He's, we think he's on something. And, and of course, we couldn't tell them that we had recovered all that fentanyl, and and, and uh, this is before anybody knew knew about fentanyl, but it, doctors did. Um, so what they did was they gave us these great. Finally, in the in the in the series, I had known John Boyd; he'd been like a mentor to me for years before, and. But we never got to work together, and so when he got when he was cast, and I, I was like, God, I wonder if I'll ever get a scene just with him. And there it was. They wrote this whole sequence where he has to kidnap me from a strip bar near the airport in L.A. And I'm like this, you know, I'm really messed up, and 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 he takes my keys, and I walk out. And I go, hey, what happened to my keys? And he said, he said, boom, boom, and he puts me in it and opens the trunk and throws me in the trunk. And I start yelling, hey, please don't do this. And, he, and he's driving out to Santa Clarita, the Simi Valley, out there, this incredible day that we had. But I was really focused, and I was going to make, I really wanted to make that connection. I wanted to show... John, well, it's a very important scene because it's a turnaround for him, for John, because 
I'm singing uh, Hebrew songs in in the trunk the whole way, driving him crazy. And then when he opens the trunk, I climb out and and I go, you really don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Don't you understand? You kill me, you're next. And he goes, how do you know that? And I go, look what we're dealing with. They want to kill you. But they want you to do them the favor of getting rid of me. They knock us all off one by one until they get to your son, until they get to Ray. And he's holding the gun on me, and I'm on my knees begging. And and I start telling a story about the, it's, it's about death and, and making the right choice. And he goes, okay, stop, just, just, uh, all right, I don't want to hear this. You can't tell anybody, anybody about this. You got to go hide. Okay, I'm telling them that I took care of it. But you have to not show your face anywhere. Of course not, of course not. No, I'll protect you. So that was the, the scene. And then there's another scene. I get into a shootout with a federal with the feds because I'm trying to sell some of the stuff off to to, to, to there and they they ambush us and I get into a firefight boom boom and I shoot one of the FBI agents oh my god we did that that night so I had plenty to do it wasn't like they wrote me out they they had a big decision to make because suddenly they weren't just going to do season six in LA and and Liev, who lives in New York and does not want to live in L.A., but he's married and she lives in L.A. and she should become a huge star with the movie Impossible, which is really amazing, right? An amazing film. And so, she, but she's a movie star, which he didn't, which he isn't. But he's making what whatever he's making an episode. I was making a lot of money for my, you know, appearances uh, in the show, but I had a really good, good deal. Uh, but his deal must have been ridiculous enough to buy, you know, houses and, and uh, whatever you want to, you know, do. And he, they had two little boys and she wanted them with her, but she did have to travel and he would come every February or so. Or so to LA, rent a house, live in this house, and that was close enough to the studio where he could drive, where they would drive him. And he just hated it. And he would tell me too, one day we were at lunch and I go, how's it going? And he said, I, I don't wanna do this any longer. I said, what? And he goes, I live in New York. I, you know, and now, now Naomi moved to New York with my kids and I want to be there. I don't want to be spending six months of my life out here alone in a house <coughs> with a housekeeper, you know, and a personal assistant. And and it's it's just that's no life for me. I I don't know what I'm going to do. Soon after that, I heard if it was going to happen, they had to cater to. They had to give him what he wanted, and what he wanted was shoot the show in new york move ray donovan the storyline the characters or some of the characters to new york and 
and they said we can't we can't like bring you like out of out of exile because everybody thought well if they do another season basically they left it open for me to figure out a way to get back to the to the states even though he says you can never come back and i said no and so it was sort of a and but suddenly it's going to be new york and i thought it was kind of far-fetched if i suddenly showed up in new york right and as a plot line it's so they took the three brothers and john and uh and I think they even took um, what's her name? Who was my partner? My partner. I, yeah, I can't uh, think of her name. Anyway, she's great, very strong actress, and we got along great. And uh, and Avi got you know left out. And the 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 one season they did in New York, and it was so hard, so difficult, the shooting. Even the storyline about an attorney and a woman, they got Susan Sarandon for the whole season. And, but it, it wasn't compelling in the way that it had been. And they, they said, that's it. <laughs> We're not doing more. We're not doing any more. So without Alvi, they tanked. <laughs> so, okay, you, you, you mentioned... You mentioned uh... Breaking Bad earlier. How did that come about? Because people know that people, and that's what, that's a show. My wife had not seen it. And I remember we were in LA and it was on like a Memorial Day. They, they had a, a, a um, marathon and she binged it, man. Like she watched it like in a week and because people were doing that. But how did, how did that come about? And did you think that people really know you, that character, from Breaking Bad? They, they know it. So how did, how did Breaking Bad come about? The character, Vince Gilligan, contacted my agent. I didn't, I was like, I'd see it. And I thought, how do I get on that? How do I get on that? God, I wonder if they know about me. And it turned out that Vince Gilligan very much knew about me. And, and he was planning he was planning like in the near future he's going to find a role for Steubenbauer he loves he's a fanatic of Scarface he loves Scarface and he's a funny guy you know it's the humor in Breaking Bad is ridiculous it's so funny and but it's always ed edgy it's always so so good and and boom, out of the blue, that my agent says, Vince, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, he has a role in mind for you. He'd love to, for you to come in and meet him. He wants to meet you. And I said, wow, yeah, well, you're, oh, what's the role? I don't, we don't know. He said there's two roles. It could be for, for the next episode, but it could be one that is for a few episodes and lo and behold it wasn't uh, he did think of me for the the next episode because it was there they had it and it was a, a character but it was only in one episode and he thought i'm not going to waste you you but you have to wait <laughs> it, it it'll be like in about four episodes 
we're introducing this character, Don Ladio. And I said, oh, okay. And uh, he said, and you speak only in Spanish, and we will have subtitles in every one of your scenes. Wow. And so that's easy for me. And I thoroughly enjoyed the character and the direct Vince. When I first started doing it, being it, like in rehearsal, they were all, I, I would say, do you think it's too big? Is You know, and you know, perfect. You have, you're hitting the right, the right balance between comedy and, and, and real darkness, <laughs> sinister, sinisterness. I said, yeah, I, well, yeah, yeah, of course. And, and Don Eladio was born and it gave me a chance to work with, with, Two actors I already I worked with earlier in my career. I did when I did uh, the series Wise Guy, and it was canceled by the CBS. And it, after three after three episodes airing, because uh, I told you the story, no, yeah. uh, because the CBS had a grudge and and a, a grudge and sort of a bet with Steve Steve Stephen Cannell, who created. And loved uh, Wise Guy, and he told me you were my original choice for Wise Guy, but your agent said you weren't doing television. <laughs> and he said and that's how Kenny Wall became became the character. But he got too big for his britches, I think, and he started becoming a problem to them. And he got he gained a lot of weight, and he was very good in in. And he was very a strong presence, and I knew Kenny, and and suddenly he was out, and they canceled it. But they would consider putting it back on if they could get a name, uh, somebody. And Steve Cannell came back to me and said, "You, you want to do it? You want to do this character? It is amazingly complex." And, and the character is called Michael Santana, you know, and it, it's a Cuban lawyer, a Cuban-American lawyer who is rising, and he ends up defending a a drug a drug dealer. No, not defending, but prosecuting a drug dealer. But he presents evidence that was not good. And the drug dealer had something to do with that because he had powerful lawyers too. So he beats me and I'm tainted by the bar. I'm just barred. And so when the movie starts, when the, when the first episode starts, but I still have um, um, Jonathan Banks. He's still the guy in the tweeds, in the, you know, in the tweeds and with that great voice and great actor. And so so I get Jonathan and he right away we strike up a great friendship. And 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 well, anyway, it's canceled. It gets canceled. And I, even in the middle of the season where we were, we had moved from Miami from the Miami plot line after six episodes to Vancouver for uh, the next uh next chapter. Um and and the first the, by the way, the first chapter my mentor who wants to make me his son and, and I'm undercover and he's laundering money and he's, and he's, 
bringing arms in and he's like a big time, you know, big real estate guy or a big, uh, a good guy in Miami, Maximilian Schell. And Maximilian Schell to me is like a god, like for watching the Young Lions and, and Judgment at Nuremberg. My goodness. And there he was toe to toe with me and invited me to his house. He gave me a beautiful book about a play that he does every year on stage in Austria. He's Austrian. So that was the, the main, the special guest star in the first installment. And then we moved to Vancouver and it's Billy D. Williams. And I got to do these powerful like face-to-face -face scenes with, with him. And he's so great. He's so great. And he's, He's just like a man. He's amazing. He's a great guy and a great actor. And then they cut us off. So another, like, another just disillusionment, another, like, punch in the gut from forces that I cannot control. I was so upset when they they canceled the show where we were shooting and, and just said, everybody go home. CBS is canceling the show and, he, and Stephen Cannell wanted the show to be wise, continue to be wise guy. And Jeff Zagansky said, you don't have a, a big enough audience. You're using, you've got Stephen Bauer now, use the name of the character, Santana, call the series Santana. And, and Cannell said, no, it's wise. It is wise guy. It's, he's just the new wise guy. And Zagansky, so, so you know, it's like this, this, this thought process that sort of ruins a lot of good stuff. Somebody, some some genius makes a decision and it's ar ar arbitrary and he doesn't, doesn't won't listen to advice and he wants to make, install himself as a king for as long as he can. And so he was the king of CBS. And he, bet, he basically told told Cannell that the show is going to fail in spite of having Steinbauer. The show is going to fail. Nobody wants White Sky. And he was, and we were determined to, to prove him wrong. So what does he do to make sure to make sure that he wins? He puts us on on Saturday night at 10 o'clock when there is no demographic home watching something, watching a, a show like Wise Guy. No, perennially for 10 years or so, Golden Girls is 10 o'clock Saturday night because that's who's home. Right. Or their, their audience. And it was so, so transparent, the fuck you that, that, that he was doing to us. And it, I mean, I went on the, I went on Arsenio Hall, Hall twice to, to show, you know, scenes and, and, and built, built, you know, pump up the coming episode during the first episode on Saturday night. I go, oh yes, Saturday night, but maybe it can be recorded. I know everybody's out on Saturday night, except Golden Girls. And, 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 of course, we, we, she, they killed us first Saturday night. Oh, wow, man. So immediately when you love something and you know it's good and it's, you're put in a position where you don't, you, you really don't have all the opportunity to reach 
the audience that it's made for. But you have nothing to say about it. I, and we said right away, move us, please, please. You know that Golden Girls is going to win. We have no chance. But Wednesday night at 10 o'clock, Tuesday night, 10 o'clock, just like give us a chance, move us to any other slot but that one. It's like, no, no. Like I told you, I told you, Cannell. I told you. What did I ask? So you mentioned Jonathan Price. So that's who you worked with in. Jonathan Banks, sorry. That's who you worked at in, when, in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, he shows up, and he's Mike, you know, Mike. And, 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 and finally, I get on the set with him, and he goes, Bauer, Bauer. And I started doing my thing as Donadio, and he just and they're cracking up on the set. The camera guys are cracking up, and they go, "My God, they're so fucking good! Let's just do one more, just do do whatever you want in this." But I was working with another really close friend that I don't that I didn't see often, but I was with him on stage in in the play Balm and Gilead and. Uh, I was off Broadway, Circle in the Square, and then we opened a new theater, the Manila Lane Theater, and we ran for three months. And I got there, I was in that cast because someone else was playing the role that I did, and he got an offer to do uh, Police Blues or New York Blues, uh, and he took it. And he and I got a phone call from John Malkovich, whom I had known. Because he worked, he also worked with my manager, Phyllis Carlisle. So we all got to get know each other, and and Sinise and his wife, and 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 John and his, his wife, rest in peace, Glenn Headley, and and he calls me and he goes, Rocky, uh, you think you could get here tomorrow and uh, step in for uh, Jimmy's ro- uh, role in the in the play? And uh, I'll make sure you have one rehearsal with the cast. <laughs> That's it. And uh, and he says it's just role like all there's, there's all these actors on stage. There's all these characters. It's about the Upper West Side in the '70s and the devastation of the drugs and then the prostitution, pimps, and and just low life characters on the Upper West Side in the '70s. And it was bad really bad and and it's a beautiful play by Langford Wilson but John Malkovich was directing it and Gary's in it Gary Sinise is in it and 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 Lori Metcalf Lori Metcalf before she went on to television and gosh she was brilliant and and Giancarlo Esposito was in it. He had one of those roles of one of the street people. And him and I, in the beginning, as the audience come in, we greet the audience, and he he's offering uh, he's offering joints to the audience, and and uh, and it, 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 so we struck up a friendship then there, and then we did a few movies together over the years where that we were both in, and sometimes we had scenes together and. Lo and behold, he's on. He's great. This great character in Breaking Bad, and when I'm on the set, I'm working with him, and I'm teaching him 
the phonetic spelling, the phonetic pronunciation of of the Spanish, which he really didn't speak Spanish, but he took it on. And and, and he because every scene, every character that's in my scenes has to speak Spanish. It was so great. It was just so much fun. And and it didn't end. It didn't end. I die. I die in the pool. I drink the poisons tequila and the cigar falls out of my hand and I and that was incredible I had to do that they tried to warm the water because it's New Mexico and it was cold out so outdoors at that hacienda and so I had to go headfirst into the water not headfirst actually face plant like this and so the, the cameramen are down below me and one of them says do you think you can keep your eyes open as you hit the water? And I go, yeah, I'll, I'll try that. I, I, I like, I, I've always swam, swam underwater with my eyes open. I just had that lucky. And so I did it and they all said, oh, and they dried me off and, and got my clothes off and, and stuff. And everybody, wow, and how was it? It was great, it was great. Do you think you could do one more, Steve? <laughs> just to have, like, just to have some safety. So they dressed me back. I said, "Yeah, of course." And I did it. I did it twice. I don't know which te- which take they used, but I die in that, and I, I thought that was it, right? And, uh, and Vince like dressed me in yellow and canary yellow in my first scene, and I, and I was like mortified I, with the the, the costume uh, ladies. They said, "Well, he 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 likes he likes this one, this yellow thing." I go, "I don't wear yellow. I'm not wearing that. I'm not. I what's the yellow? Anyway, it's like a deep blue." I said, "Tell, can I put try that on?" And and they were going to send him a photograph back in L.A. and and, and he, but he, he wants to see you in the yellow anyway. So we got to get a good photo of that. And I'm thinking, okay, and they send it and show up on the set. And the girls come up to me and they go, guess what you're wearing? <laughs> Yellow. I go, I look like a, a, a banana, a large banana. <laughs> but it was perfect. He has a sense of humor and that's part of it. And uh, and so it didn't end when I died. My, my appearance is because they created Better Call Saul which takes place 10 years or 15 years before. And there's Dory Lyle. <laughs> I, I, before, before it got crazy, but all those scenes with Mark Margolis, bless his soul, who I, I knew from, from Scarface, of course. And Mark Margolis was, was great. He was a really wonderful, grumpy old man. And uh, but he he meant it with a sense of humor. But he also meant it. And I I'd go into the trailer to the to the makeup trailer, and I say, I say, Mark, Mark, how are you? This good, good morning. And he'd say, What's good about it, Stephen? Stephen, why are you so happy? I said, I'm I'm always happy coming to work. <laughs> I'm you know. Now, now with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, did a whole lot, of, whole new generation of people start recognizing you? Yes, yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I, I, I really tried to, to, to get myself in a kind of shape where I, where it was, where you could buy it. You could buy physically that this was that same guy that was kind of punchy and big guy in, in, in Breaking Bad later, because it's 10 years later. So 10 years earlier, I'm much thinner and my hair is really dark, dark and, and, uh, and they dressed me differently. I wasn't quite, I was Don Eladio already. And I was already like a uh, kingmaker and, you know, but with, with, with those people. And that was really fun because the new director, the, the director, the, the writer, Peter, 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 uh, yeah. He's the he's the co-creator of of Better Call Song, and and he he loved it. He, he he loved doing the scenes with me because I'd give him all this different stuff, and I'd say, "Is that too big? Is it too much?" And he goes, "No, no, you you're big. You want to be big. That's your that's who you are." And I go, "Okay, just check." Let me, if you let me do what I'm doing, what I want to do, I mean, I'm going to give you things that are you know, unexpected. And they loved it. So I, I got to do three, three of the seasons. Um, the last one was really cool. It was a, a meeting of all the cartel guys. And, and my uncle, Theo, is ringing the bell. Ding, 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 ding. You know, he's an incredible job, incredible acting, where he's all twisted and he rings the bell and, and, and yes or no. And just, and I finally send him to his room and I turn to the guys and I go, yeah, it's driving me crazy with that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and so... You see those episodes, they're very cool. That's a great show. Now, I got to ask you, Give me a, give me a, just a few highlights. When you look back, highlights of your career. When you think about it, because you've had a very long career, you have, you've worked, you've worked on so many shows. I mean, you, you've constantly worked. You've been in a iconic movie. You've been in, you know, those series were all, you know, critically acclaimed with Ray Donovan, Breaking Bad. What to you? What is? A few highlights that you sit there and go, I'm blessed, man. I've had. A fucking great career. Recently, uh, and hopefully it'll be a highlight, but it certainly was to work on with this director, uh, Roger Cumble. And he he took on this trilogy called uh, Beautiful Disaster and then Beautiful Wedding and Beautiful Baby about these two people who... Oh, no. Uh, that's Angel Salazar calling me. Can you believe that? Chi-Chi. No, I can't do it right now. I don't know how to do this. Hold it, Steph. No. No. Dismiss. All right. There we go. We're back. And we're back. And so, and, and I, you know, in six months, it, it comes out January 14 or something in theaters. And I have a great comic role. He just, he wanted to see me do something really, I guess, Extravagant, like extravagant and eccentric, and and I did, 
And so totally different, a total departure from anything I've done. So that's a highlight that looking back will be most recent. But it, that's an easy thing for me to answer because I have these these beautiful, beautiful, vivid memories of movies like Sword of Gideon that I did. It was one of the first HBO movies, and I would it, it was after Scarface, and and I read the script, and it was based on a true story about a, a, a young Israeli recruited who's a great soldier, tank commander. And but he gets recruited into the Mossad to track down to to build a team and track down. You know, had a list of the eleven top eleven terrorists in the world who were all responsible for killing innocent people, including two of them who were involved in the kidnapping, hostage taking of the of the athletes in Munich, which ended up botched and they all died and so and i read this and 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 i have very strong jewish very strong jewish uh, roots and and connection and i thought oh my god it's shooting israel and rome and london and (laughs) and new york and and this character is so complicated and it's perfect for me and I, I i wanted a meeting with the director right away and i he talked to me and i said i'm i am abner i can do it and i can do it with the accent if you want me to and he goes, i don't know that we're going to use accents we may just have you speak english um i said i can do it you know and he said all right i i, I said i can do this better than any american actor that's up for it because I have a strong connection to the land, to to the state of Israel, and because my grandfather was, my grandfather, his brother died in the Holocaust, and my grandfather went to Havana, to Cuba, and that's how they, my mom was produced, and so on my mom's side, it means I'm Jewish, but I'm also very much a. a, a, a I'm very much a Jesus person too. Always have been like a fan, uh, and trying and holding it and holding his life uh, up as a role model. So, so I get the part, and I'm off to Israel, and I find out that I'm working with Rod Steiger. Again, another like mind blowing like casting opportunity for me, and I just those days that was something that was like, oh, this is gonna be so. I'm gonna make it great. We're gonna, it's gonna be so great. But unfortunately, it was among the first of the HBO productions that was on this new cable thing, HBO. And it showed once or twice, and that was it. There was no commotion, and no and no nominations. And oh, I mean, if you see it, you'll be nuts. I mean, yeah, my role, and I was very young, and right after Scott, two years after Scarlet, and it came like a like a drop from heaven because of the, the bad experience with Deep of Hearts, and and then 
so I could do this, and of course, it takes all this time, and I get to work with Rod Steiger, and I worked with Colleen Dewhurst, who played Golda Meir, and it was one day, she worked one day, and it's one scene, and she talks to me and a few of the generals before embarking on this thing, and she does a speech, a monologue about Jews, who are we? And for, for years we have been persecuted in there. And she goes, and now we are not turning the other cheek. And that's where you've been selected. You are the vengeance. You are the sword of Gideon. That's the name of the book, Sword of Gideon. And that's the name of the, of the, the movie. Actually, it's, the book is called Vengeance by, by a Canadian uh, Jew named George Jonas, who had intimate conversations <laughs> and taped tape conversations with the real Avner once he got sick of the hunting down of people and placing bombs in their cars and and seeing and knowing that they have children, you know, also and I and I and this guy walks away. Really walks away and he has to leave Israel. And those times it's just like it, it, just abandoning your, your country and and he went and he's he lived in new york and anyway so it's a real character and i had i talked to george jonas about the real guy a lot so you see it you'll see it's it's a beautiful thing and i got to work with it was and colleen was incredible the incredible actress that she was and uh, she made me cry she's talking right to me she said you you and I hope just like teared up, teared up and the director Michael Anderson, who is who is an Englishman who lived in Canada and he directed around the world in eighty days. So this is Michael Anderson at eighty and he's spry, a very spry Englishman. And uh Stephen, he said, I know I know she's is powerful and I know you feel it, but you're a soldier. Don't don't show tears. You cannot show your emotions. There'll be plenty of time for that. <laughs> and others see for not right now. So I had to buck up and just like when she's looking at me, looking through me, oh, wow. I just, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's your, you have so much fond memories of, uh, of these movies. And that's what's great because you remember it and you remember the detail. I want to ask you, because we got to wrap up soon. You got to tell me, because you have a good memory, you got to tell me a really good story from when you were shooting Scarface. When you were shooting it. You told me how you created the Mang. That's the user. That was you, the Mang, and the other one. But tell me a really good story when you were shooting Scarface, because it's a big production and you're with Pacino. I mean, I know you guys, but you're with fucking Pacino. I mean, tell me a killer, killer Scarface story. Might sound disparaging to an actor that I admire very much, and he's a very nice man. He's still alive, uh, Murray Abraham, and so he got cast as sleazy uh, Omar. Yeah, Omar's okay. That was a thin joke between us because he wrote, "I'm uh, I'm putting you, in, I'm putting Omar in charge of you." And already we had gone through this scene, which is the first one where he ends up throwing a cigarette at him and he says, so it's 
So we're shooting it. It's supposed to be in Miami, but it's like the coldest night of the year in L.A. We're still shooting in L.A. under the freeway, under the freeway in downtown. And they build this sort of Latin American uh, cafe where we're washing dishes. And then we have a little break and we're drinking Cuban coffee, like I told him. You know, and uh, uh, I taught him about the, the, the ritual. And what's, so, what's the ritual? What's the, what's, what's the ritual? ritual of, of having a, like a small, like a little shot of cafecito, a little shot of, of coffee, like during the day, a couple of times during the day. You stop at these places, they're everywhere. Can I have a cafecito? Cool. Or they give you a full, a full cafe, you know, thing. And you take it with you and you sip it and it gives you energy. It also makes you a little a little jumpy, <laughs> but but if you have to like you have to balance it up, and so it, it but it's something that Cubans do as a as a relaxation also where they can share a couple of of coffee coffee and it's usually like a double shot, right? But you savor it because it's sweet and it's so good. It's co it's ca it's coffee and sh sugar basically. And just the right amount where it just goes down like syrup. And and I told them about, about it, how you enjoyed it and everything. So if you remember, first, washing dishes and stuff. And he's complaining. I go, I know this guy's coming. I met him. You know, he's got to offer us a job. He's got something. He's got a job for us. And he goes, you know, just better be shot friend. Better come through. Well, to make it all come more, more like, like crazy, the coldest night of the year is like 42 degrees in, in LA. And we're in t-shirts, you know, very hot, supposedly very hot, little, little stand-up place, uh, and washing dishes and, and it's sweating and sweating, sweating, sweating. And then, if you remember, we're called by the by the main guy, by the owner, and he goes, two guys waiting for you uh, out out there. You better make it back, come back quick." And, and uh, I go, "That's it. That's it. that's Emono Omar." And and so later we had the thing where we okay, so 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 we're freezing, we're freezing, and we have blankets over us. And then as we get ready, they get ready, get ready. Okay, get them ready. Take out the blankets. Sorry, guys. And they, you know, the makeup department, the girls, they go, okay, this is going to hurt. Uh, uh, I'm going to spread to you. Everywhere. So you, and you see the scene. I'm sweating to death. I'm sweating and I combing my hair back like that. And, and he, he and he's grumpy and he's freezing also. So we go, ready, go. And then you gotta go, mm -hmm. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I'm actually, I'm hot. <laughs> but it was like this, you you were like turning to, to ice. And we would do it over and over because the, the exit. Oh, but right before then, there's that little shot that establishes us and uh, our relationship and and I did, I said, 
I said, uh, the lines that, that Oliver wrote, but we worked on them. And I said, I really want to say something at the end of this. And just to bug Tony, just to bug him, to get him to laugh or because or, he's so grumpy. And, and I'm so upbeat. And I, it, I'm sipping coffee like this, and he's in the foreground of, of the shot. And he's sitting like this, half on the, the counter. And he goes, and he's going, oh, my hand. And and I I go and he goes look at that look at across the street there's a disco, and and they play some extras and girls in dresses, and he goes look at that, look at that. I I'm sipping coffee and I go look at that look at that. she's beautiful or something and he goes yeah and look at that punk with her. And I go oh come on and he goes what what's he got that I don't have, and I said. Well, for one thing, he's very handsome. And I couldn't just crack up, crack up, but I would contain I would contain it. And we did a few takes, and Al would, he always told me, do not make me laugh. Do not make me laugh, because then I can't stop. He said, I had a problem on stage. John Cazal used to make me try to crack me up. And I went, you know, right before my monologue, he'd be on stage face with back to the audience and I'd come out and he'd go, <laughs> he would give me the finger and I'm, I'm trying to get, and, or he would do some funny face or say something to me as I walk out on stage. Anyway, he, he said, he would start laughing. He said a few times I, I laughed on stage and then I had to just collect myself. No, 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 get rid of that. No, no. Uh, hey there. I don't even have my phone. So let me go on. Let me go on. So, so he's really grumpy. And so I added that line, basically. You know, well, for one thing, he's very handsome. And he, he would look at me and try not to look at me because I was I had a smirk on my face. And I was like, mm -hmm. like you know, he's very handsome. And, and, and he's like, you, fuck you. All right, so we started that way. Now we move on to the car, and Omar's in the passenger seat, and he's like uh, bobbing to this music, and he he was just funny, and these choices were funny, but it was a great character, very consistent. But he 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 works out those things, he works them out, and prepares them their moments and he prepares everything like when he says he, he says you listen to me i'm the one user and he, and he does this and goes and every single take is the same he, he would do the same thing he matched everything and we were impossible to get it replicate the this the take before if it was good to do that again, no, no way. We don't because he's in the moment and I'm in the moment and I'm watching him. So I play off him. If he decides to go rogue, I'm going to catch him or, you know, I'll, I'll just respond. So, but in, so we walking out there freezing, pretending we're hot. And, and he goes, I got something for you. I, and I'm, really eager, right? And I go, really, really, you got something. What is it? And he goes, marijuana, two kilos. You go and bring it back $50. No, no, uh, you get
dollars each. And I go, oh, that's really, that's good. And I would look at him, you know, I turn my back to the camera and I would look at him and go, that's good. And he'd look at me like, you'd be like, like, don't, don't, don't be a sucker. Like, let me handle this. And he starts speaking and he goes, a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars each. He goes, that's not the going rate on a, on a boat. And and he goes, first you got to work your way up to, to 500. Uh, and he goes, well, what, that's what we did for you. And in, in, uh, the Rebenga hit, what was that, a game of dominoes? And I'm going, don't, 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 don't ruin this for us then. And because and, I can see him going, it's written that way, it's written that way, but I, I would have eye contact with him. And meanwhile, we're freezing, right? And we're not, we can't show it. And, and he looks funny to us. He, what he's doing is so quirky and so weird that we both realize it. And I make the mistake of when we go back, oh, and, and then he goes, uh, he goes, don't you think we could have got two two space cadets to do it cheaper to 50 bucks? And then that's when Al goes down. Why didn't you? And I go, come on, don't do that. And he goes, oh, what's the matter with you, with this guy? And anyway, and the scene ends with pissed off and and I I follow him. I I follow him. Well, what, what's the way? What, 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 what do you have against Colombians? And he goes, I don't fucking like them. That's all. And I go, no, no, no. He, he, he says Colombians and you do this thing like with your eyes, like what? And he goes, I just don't like him. I don't trust him. Yeah. So the scene ends and we go back inside and get the blankets on. And I dare to ask him. It's just like out of character, basically in character. I go, Am I crazy or, or is he is acting like really funny? And Al goes, he looks at me and he goes, don't, don't, don't even start. And I go, oh, so, so I'm not crazy, right? It, 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 what he's doing is, it, 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 it's, everything is so like precise and it, it's so weird looking at him and he goes, don't look at him <laughs> and don't look at me because I'm trying to ignore that, all that and just stick with the story with, with my intent, with the intention. He goes, don't look at me. Don't. I couldn't, I just couldn't help myself. So I go back out there and I'm doing the scene again. We do it, you know, a couple takes and then suddenly I go, I go, Omar, uh, this is my friend. And I look at Al, I turn and I look at him and he's standing there trying to just like, like that. I go, Omar, this is my friend, Tony Munda. <laughs> and he, st and Al starts laughing. I go, sorry, 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 sorry. Let's go again. Let's go again. And I, and Al goes like this. And I go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's just, go out there. Omar, 
this is my friend. So many. Uh, Montana. And then got, got, what's, what's going on? And then Al starts laughing, starts laughing, and he, and, and Brian goes, is there something that I'm missing? What's going on, guys? And we're, we're both like, it's him. I mean, we're looking at him, and it's, he's just, it's just, I've never run into that. And so that happened. And later, when we were introduced and, and to, to Bob, Bob Loja, to, to, to uh, Lopez, and Lopez goes, I'm going to put Omar in charge of you guys. Omar uh, and and Al was, he looks at him and he goes, yeah, Omar's okay. And he goes, okay? And he goes, yeah, he's okay. And so every time we talk about Omar, Omar's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's one of my great like memories of shooting that film. And it's probably the first day of shooting, I think. For me, it was the first day. And it was, of course, cold and nighttime in LA and we were under hardship and while we we're still shooting that scene I think we're on lunch break and what do we hear this highly coveted role in the upcoming upcoming uh, 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 Milos Foreman got to direct Amadeus on the screen and who does he choose of all the actors that have played it brilliantly John uh, Ian McKellen, notably, and he chooses, he chooses Omar, <laughs> and and they told us, and I said, no, no, and Al said, I, what do I know? <laughs> I go, how did that happen? How does that happen? He is okay. So, and he got nominated. He won the Academy Award, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And yeah. Well. Famously, then took a knee on stage and gave an oration that he had prepared <laughs> to the to to the great uh, Dustin Hoffman, I guess, who was in the audience, or he's taking his giving like give, giving him his uh, honoring him. Um, so that's. That's one of um, um, a million that you'll see in my book when it comes out. That's when awesome. I get, I get down to writing it. But I really want to see what this comedy... Uh, but I just want to add that if you want to see a great m movie that also was not pushed and would be very powerful today, if, uh, give it a chance, w with Jason Patrick and myself and George Zanza, and Don Harvey, Stephen, Stephen Baldwin was in it. Uh, it's about a, a Russian tank crew that gets separated, tank that gets separated from its battalion, um, and it's lost in the in the Afghan wilderness, and destroyed this village, just raised the village in the beginning of the movie. And the movie's called The Beast. Okay. And I, I had done the the play all in English, both sides speaking English, on stage at the LA Theater Center. It opened the LA Theater Center. We inaugurated it with this play and everybody loved it. It was called Nana Watai, which is the word that is 
her call for sanctuary from your enemy when you're taken prisoner. And and but they didn't want to call the movie the Nana What I but they did want to cast authentically to have the Rus- Russian boys, the Russian and their and their captain speak English as if they as if as if you, you can imagine that it's being translated. It, you, they are Russian, yeah. They're speaking Russian among themselves, so they speak normal English. And the enemy or the the home team are the four Afghans who have never seen machinery, a lot of them, and they're, they're, they're superstitious, and they fight amongst themselves, the, the, the tribes. And I play my the role I did on stage two years before. But it took me a while. I had to convince the head of the studio then, Englishman, and then rest in peace, David Putnam. I had to ask for a meeting because they wouldn't see me for an Afghan, for the any of the Afghan roles. And I said, but I did it on stage. I can do it. And they were like, no, we they're trying to find a Middle Eastern actor. Well, they tried and tried and tried. And then they said, okay, you can have your meeting with David Putnam try to convince him and I did I walked in and I talked to him and I said and he says but how are you going to you know that all your all your dialogue is in Pashto he goes I'm going to send you to a to a coach here in LA tomorrow and he'll tell me how you do and he told him that I can grasp it that I have I can get the son of the uh, of the Afghan and and so I I got the role I was off to is Israel again. And that's where we shot. And it was glorious. The, the, every single day of production was glorious. And we would come home and the, when the sun was going down, the moon was coming up and we had a, a camp. We were camped in the motels at the Dead Sea, uh, the Dead Sea Resort, where all the German tourists came to heal their their little cuts and stuff. And that's where we were and we would jump into the the, the Dead Sea, keep one hand out of the water, because if the, you get it, the water in your in your eyes, God forbid, you'll be blind for like an hour. Oh. So you keep one hand out so you can pick your nose or, or rub, or, you know, or push the hair back or something. But it was great, the warmth of that water and the healing power of that water after every after running miles. I had to run miles every day in Afghan sandals and my flowing robes and my and my headpiece, my headdress and I have a beard and munition belts and M1, the M1, no, the Enfield rifle that I had. So but Jason and I became very, very good friends, and and it's all the other guys too. And um, it was a, every single day was an amazing experience, like like with sort of Gideon. And again, it, I, everybody thought, well, at least we're going to get some nominations because obviously you're playing a part in another language, and you learned it in three weeks. Or, but there, there was an Afghan coach on the on the set, and he would. Correct me. I would run th- one, run through the dialogue, but I needed to be able to, blah, 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 you know, like you have. I have scenes where I blow up and I'm emotional and saying these things phonetically, 
and knowing what they mean, but not concentrating on pronunciation. I had to, I had to, to have a performance, I had to be in character. That was an amazing experience, and nothing came of it. We didn't get nominations. I, it's a beautiful movie. It's, if you get to see it someday, you'll see. Hopefully, so that's that, that. That was the one I didn't. I didn't want to leave that one out because I again I felt like God, he's so good to me. To get to play this. You know, maybe this is the one I'll be known for playing a, a foreign you know, an Afghan. Maybe, maybe if it all goes well, and it all went well. We had a very small budget, we, but we the movie was tight. And Kevin Reynolds, a great director, and he was wonderful, and Jason was great. But alas, well, I got to tell you this though: you've had an amazing career. You, you can't complain. I mean, I know there's certain things, but people know you, and I, that's I noticed you when I saw you at Wakato that first time, and I bought you at Doors. So. Anyway, man, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been great talking to you. Um, we'll do this again down the road when you have, when your new movie comes out or whatever you know that one's coming out. We'll we'll get together again. And uh, you now on Instagram, you're at the original Stephen Bauer. Yeah, no, uh, uh, official. Official. So, so people go go follow Stephen. Official Stephen Bauer. Um, Shoe Palace. He has his clothes coming out. Um, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 980 episodes. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, I'm at coopertalk. Say hello to my little friend, the book by yeah. Nat Siegel, where with forward by Stephen Bauer. Yes, yeah, so say hello to my little friend. Everyone did that when I was doing comedy. Say hello to my little... Do it for us real quick. Can you say it? Say hello to my little friend. See, so people, check out Stephen Bauer. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.